Welcome to the Lab Podcast, where we empower women to use the repertoire to heal and thrive. I'm Lynn Rain. I'm Regina Chow Trammell. And I'm Yvette Latende. We are Latina, Asian, and Black professional women. There is a need for professional women to share their perspectives while navigating our roles. We cover cultural ways of thinking that shape this discussion and share practical tips for managing stress, thinking through identity, navigating life stage change, and living in abundance. This is The Lab. What, what else? What other ways that we kind of think about health? You know, that there's a role of physical health, right? Like, what is the role of physical health and the pursuit of this balance or quality, quality of life? And what's the message, I guess, about work-life balance that maybe gets in the way of physical health or helps create that for us? Great question. Um, what kept coming to mind for me is economic, if we don't have a conversation about economics, then for a lot of people, there won't ever be a work-life balance, right? If we don't address unemployment, the wage gap, the gender gap in pay, like all of those things. And I'm thinking about my family being, my parents being able to kind of balance these, these things out and set priorities around their family values and faith values. But some of that was because they were entrepreneurs, right? They were well-educated entrepreneurs making other streams outside of maybe their normal jobs that gave them some economic leeway to feel empowered because how how empowered can you be on a on a job to speak up about conditions, hospital conditions, if you're a contingent worker, if you have a yearly contract, if you're an adjunct working at 16 different universities? I don't I I can't imagine those people speaking up a lot to change policies and procedures or to even quote unquote complain, you know, about the conditions. So that's why we see a flight, you know, even at um some institutions I've been at recently, Black women are leaving in droves. And it's because they're wanting a balance. They're saying, some of this stuff is not my priorities and values. And I'm, we're not seeing organizations shift as quickly as they should. After COVID, there should be lots of work flexibility and how you work, when you work, where you work. And for an organization to not understand that COVID impacted women women of color in ways that are unimaginable. So even if you never caught COVID, the fear, the not being able to see family, the mental health, the watching your children suffer and be isolated from friends and activities. Um, and we're even he hearing about other health um, consequences that weren't COVID, like, like it wasn't directly COVID, but now the person is stressed out and now they have an autoimmune issue, right? or the person was stressed out in 2020, or people lost jobs and that economic turmoil, how did that impact their stress level and health in their, in their health? So we're just not seeing organizations really pivot and adjust and respond to that as quickly as they should. So there's definitely been a flight of black women, not only leaving the academy, but thinking about entrepreneurship and creating fiscal stability in other ways. 
And in the black community, that's what we've always done. We've always been innovative and creative because we've been pretty locked out of other maybe formal structural things where you had to promote in a particular way. So I think the fiscal thing, I think we got to talk about economics. And I would never mentor any upcoming faculty or person in my work, other women, and not talk about finances, right? Because until we get that together and you think about your value, your abundance that you're bringing, how can you tap into that abundance to create avenues for yourself, right? Where you can control when you work and how you work and how often you work. Because we have all these gifts and things like that. But I think sometimes we kind of get into the the regimen of just kind of clocking in and depending on institutions and organizations to just take care of us. And like um, Lynn said in another podcast, we're easily replaceable. So I think fiscal is a big part of it. What do you think, Lynn? What do you think about the whole fiscal soundness or the the role of economics in this kind of work-life balance? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely that plays a big role, right? Because sometimes we feel stuck. I know there's been times in my in my professional career or life that I felt stuck and that I wasn't happy. I didn't have good work-life balance. You know, it was very unbalanced. It was all about work and I wasn't happy. And it showed up. It showed up, you know, my health, like Regina pointed out. It also showed up in my mental health. I went through a period that I was very depressed and just unmotivated. And I think that's you have, we have to pay attention to that, right? When we're burnt out and um, I'm sure we will be talking about burnout in one of our future episodes, but, you know, I think we need to pay attention to that. You know, when you start lacking motivation, when you don't feel like getting up in the morning to go to work, when you dread it, I think I've, I've worked with a lot of women that they had the Sunday dread, right? Of, oh, here comes Monday. And I think we need to pay attention to that. Um, but I think absolutely, I think finances are an important equation because unfortunately in the world we live in, in this capitalistic society, if we don't have the financial resources, we're not going to be able to empower ourselves to say no and, and, and take care of ourselves. So I always, um, you know, I, I always think women should have alternative sources of income. You know, I worked many years in the field of domestic violence. And one of the things I taught women in abusive relationships is to start saving money. So when it got really bad, they could leave or, or start getting trained, you know, if they were, you know, stay at home moms and, and, you know, didn't have job opportunities to go and get trained in something, whether they were going to get trained to be a dental hygienist or a cosmetology or a nurse, whatever they were interested in, but get training and I think education is one of those things, right? People can take anything away from us, but they can't take away your education. Um, and I think that it's important. I think it's important for us to negotiate our salaries when we have a new job, that they're sustainable, that we can live with a salary, not just live, but have a little bit of extra, because I think that that helps with that work-life balance, right? And I, you know, I'm sure, sh- we're going to talk about self-care to come, but, you know, self-care is not just getting pedicures and massages, but, you know, it's, it's that ability to take care of ourselves, to have the money to, you know, service our cars, to have the money to take days off and go on a vacation, check out, you know, get off the grid as they say. Um, so I think all those things are important um, for women, not only to set boundaries, right. But also have different sources of, of, you know, income and revenues, I think that's an important piece and, and save, right. To have, 
um, I, I used to have a, uh, or, or one of my first jobs, I had a, a manager that would say that he had a special fund that he would save money in and that he had it. So when, when, when his employers would piss him off, he could just walk out on the job and have enough to live, you know, while he found another job. And, and that always stayed with me, you know, that idea of having this kind of savings account to quit. <laughs> so, um, I think that's a, a great point. I think fiscal health is really about security for us, right? And and I love that story of it of your family having different streams. I think I was thinking about all of us and how we all have different streams besides our kind of full-time title. And I think there's something about that for us as women of color that we need to be in charge. And I always teach my students too. I'm like, there are ways that you can navigate. It's more complicated. It takes research, but there are resources that you don't have to fall. It's almost countercultural in that sense. Like don't follow what the neoliberals tell you is fiscally healthy for everyone. Follow what's fiscally healthy for you and your family and what fits with your family. Cause what fits with your family or yourself may not fit for someone else. And that's where I think the idea of physical health is kind of holistic. It's personal. Well, I, I guess I'll cue us into the next question, self-preservation, mm. right? This is, it, it kind of goes hand in hand, right? We can't survive. There's a survival aspect to physical health. What's how is self-preservation acceptable or affirmed culturally, spiritually, professionally, and how have you dealt with this? Yvette, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, yeah. Um, like I said, since 2020, my research agenda has shifted and I've been talking about thriving and what that looks like to thrive. And self-preservation is one of the strategies that I use. And again, it's something that I've seen modeled. I, I saw my mother set boundaries and say no and make time and space for things she valued and prioritized. Um, I do think it's countercultural. I think there are still a lot of gender stereotypes about what women and women of color should be doing. Um, and when I think about this concept of protecting yourself from harm, um, and it kind of goes back to uh, what Lynn was saying about stereotypes. For a lot of Black women, there is a pressure to avoid all of these stereotypes. And so I do think a lot of Black women come into organizations, um, they get brought in to transform. And then they're kind of pigeon-toed about how they can do it, right? They can't do it authentically. You can't do it um, the way you would naturally show up, whether that's your hair, whether that's the way you walk or move or speak, or maybe it's your hand gestures. Um, so it's like, come in and save us, but we want you to do it this way. Um, so there, there's some violence there, right? There's a threat of violence. And so a natural instinct is fight, flight, right? Freeze or tend, right? Um, and so I think that Black women, like myself, we're just very hyper aware um, of situations when we're brought into organizations to be used as a body. Yeah, I was, I was in an organization where I saw that people could come in and just do tasks and promote very quickly without paying any attention to the academic role. You get, because they wanted workhorses. 
right? Um, and so some of the self-preservation for me um, has not been acceptable in the workplace because it's like, what do you mean, no? What do you mean you're not going to do that? What do, you, what do you mean you're not going to come to this meeting that has no beginning time and no end time? You know, um, what do you mean you're not going to take that extra assignment that's non-paid? Even though I just heard a conversation of you paying the gentleman that's doing the same extra work that I'm doing. Um, so to me, it's not always acceptable or affirmed. I'm going to say, because there's a lot of gender stereotypes, a lot of racial stereotypes. And some of the racial stereotypes about Black women, even when I'm teaching classes, is that we're going to be this nurturing, mothering kind of person and never structured, never say no. Absolutely, I'm not available then. You know, um, recently even had a situation where I was on spring break um, and had a student particularly challenge me. You mean I can't get help from you until after spring break? You know, that kind of mentality. So I, I think self-preservation isn't always acceptable or affirmed. Um, and when I even think about work-life balance, there's been situations where I get teased. Right? It's not popular to show that you're at a park with your feet in the grass. It's popular to show how hard you're working, what conference you just presented at, what paper did you just do? It's not, it's not popular to say, I have a day off and I'm gonna take a nap. Yeah, so for me, it's not always accepted or affirmed. What do you think, Lynn? How's it been for you? Yeah, you know, as you were talking, Yvette, I was thinking, I. Um... I had done some research in the past of working mothers and, um, or I should say mothers that work outside of the home. And it was fascinating to me to see how ingrained it is in American society to like, we have to be busy all the time. Like you said, on your day off, you have to be busy, right? You can't be walking in the park or resting or taking a nap because it's, it's not popular. Well, you know, when I did the research and I looked at other countries, you know, European countries or even, you know, Central South American countries, even seeing their leaves, right? What even our policies, right? It goes back to that discussion of, you know, structure and policy, right? We have, you know, our maternity leaves are what, six, eight weeks, three months at most in certain states where you see other countries, right? Like the UK and Canada and, you know, other countries like Sweden and Denmark that they have one year maternity leaves, so as a society, what message, right, are we telling women? We're saying, have that baby and get back to work, right? Like, don't don't be at home with a baby because apparently that's not enough work for you. Um, so I think we, I think, and we have to kind of break from these societal pressures and policies. Um, so I think personally speaking, you know, in my culture, I think that and in my culture, I don't think my work in education is as valued, for example, as my role as a wife or as a mother. I remember getting all this family pressure to have children. And then when you have your first child, and it's like, when are you going to have your second child? And, well, you work a lot of hours. You should really spend more time with your kids. And there's that judgment, right, that comes for working mothers. So I think culturally speaking, I think there's a lot of expectations, right, for me to do all the cooking and cleaning and taking primary responsibilities for childcare. So I don't think it's affirmed in my culture. I also 
don't think it's a firm professionally for me either. Um, you know, there's that expectation that I'm going to say yes to every project that gets given to me. Like you said, unpaid volunteer work, that's not going to further my career. I think it's expected to work extra hours, weekends, evenings, whatever it takes, right, for the success of wherever we're working at for employers or taking on that one more task because, you know, oh, it's just this tiny little task you can take on. So I think it's not affirmed in the way that I've done my own self-preservation is, you know, fighting against that, right? Standing up and saying, you know, I don't care what my culture expects of me. This is what I need. I need to hire someone to come and clean my house. And you know what? Yes, my I will order pizza on occasion when I've had a long day. And that's okay. That doesn't make me a bad mother. That's a way of self-preservation because here's the thing. I could come home after a very long, stressful day and cook. But that just takes t- quality time away from me being present with my family. So I would much rather order the pizza and wait for it and spend time with my kids. Quality time for 30 minutes or 45 minutes when that pizza arrives. So it's okay. So I think we can't, I think as women, like we, I don't know why, but we're told like we have to do it all. We have to do it all 150%. And that doesn't work. And I think that's kind of what you started, right? About this. Some people struggle with the work, work-life balance because it's, you know, it's not realistic. And I don't think it is. I don't think we're, you know, I, I think when we, I don't see it as a, you know, hundred percent in each, I, I say it as, you know, you have to choose your priorities. It's more like sometimes the work is going to take a little more and sometimes it's your personal life. But I think we're, for me, what self-preservation means to me is being selective. I ask myself every time I, I'm, you know, my boss, my employer tries to give me an extra task or something, or, you know, or try to promote me or try to get me to take on a position. I always ask myself, how does this project or position that they're offering me, how does that align to my career goals? So that's the first question I ask, because I think sometimes things could be really appealing, but they're not aligned to what career goal trajectory you have. And the other piece or the other question I ask myself, you know, maybe it's like your career goal, or, and how does this project position, whatever, how does that align with your life priorities? And it doesn't just have to be work. It could be like, oh, you'd be so great, Regina. You should be the president of the PTA, or you should represent us here, or you should be in charge of that fundraiser for school. You know, you, you'd be great at it, right? So it's not just our work lives, but I think in our personal lives, right, we can get sucked in too. So I think it's important for me, that's how I that's what self-preservation means to me is I pause. I always tell people, I used to be the someone that I felt like I had to answer right away. And now I said, let me think about that. I have to think about how does that align with my career personal goals? And then being okay saying no. I think the first time, I mean, there was, there was an, a, a, a situation where I had a lot on my plate and I was beginning to kind of think about these things. Uh, and my boss came and wanted to give me another task and said, this shouldn't take much. And I said, I can't. I can't take it on. And to my surprise, and probably many people, right? I think that's the first time I said no to my boss. And guess what? Most, I think in the past, or most people would say, well, well, that's not good. We're going to get a bad evaluation, or we're not going to be promoted, or we're going to be fired or written up. My boss took care of it. I said no, and my boss figured out something else. It wasn't the end of the world. But it made a huge difference in my life at the time. So that's what self-preservation is for me. Just checking in and making sure that it works for me. What about for you, Regina? I love how you talked about what stood out, that selective 
right? Being selective. I want to add to selective with joy because I was thinking we can select, but how does it serve and, you know, my purpose, but also how can I have joy in it? Because life is complicated and it's tough. Why not take on tasks? I don't mind taking on more responsibility or working hard if I know there's a purpose and it brings me joy. Like being with you both, like this is so joyful for me. It is work. We we're working here, but it doesn't feel like work. So being selective, I think that's self-preservation. The second thing I was thinking about when you both were talking is this kind of a maybe in some terms that could be countercultural, like you're talking about of it is collective preservation. You know, like we this isn't, we don't have to be alone in it. How do we? collectively preserve who we are together. I think, again, that's what we're doing today in this episode. We're collectively drawing strengths from each other and preserving and reminding each other, hey, your your worth worthiness is not over here. It's over here. And sometimes we just need to be affirmed. I know I do. I need a lot of affirmation. <laughs> I, I might need to ask for it, right? When I'm feeling insecure, I'm about to right take on a task that I don't want to do, I need to be reminded by my sisters that, no, you don't need to take that task because I I remember your purpose. So I just think it's important for us. I think that's a spiritual practice too, to stay in joy and know when we have to say no. If it's not joyful, then it's a no. If If there's some joy in it, then maybe it's a yes. And you might have a season where you are working a little bit more, but you're still preserving yourself and we're collectively doing that together. Is there anything else on that? I don't know if we have covered it completely, but I feel like are there takeaways that you think our listeners need besides being selective and some of the things that we've already talked about? Any other takeaways? I think you just mentioned a great take takeaway and that's definitely been a strategy for me to persevere and thrive, right? I'm not surviving. I'm thriving in my work and professional life and my friendships, right? And that's a strategy is joy. My scholarship is joy. I love writing. I love doing research because I'm doing it on topics and things that are meaningful to me. I love my classes because I'm teaching them in a way that integrates culture and race and social justice and the things that I love and that means something to me. When I do service, I'm picking service based on not always what's, what do they need a warm body for? I get to choose what am I interested in and what means something to me, right? And even at, at, at home, right? Assigning chores even. Um, think about joys, right? Um, I love washing dishes, believe it or not. It gives me processing time, right? So I think that's a strategy. How can you increase your joy as you do this? And it becomes now not a task, but something that gives you strength and passion as you're actually accomplishing whatever work expectation or home expectation. What do you think, Lynn? Yeah, I think, you know, kind of hearing everything we've said, I think to kind of summarize my takeaways from this conversation are not to think, kind of reframing what work-life balance is. So kind of thinking of it not as work-life balance, but as priority setting, Uh, setting priorities in our life, you know, with the intention, being intentional about self-preservation and what that means for us. And again, saying 
no to things that are not going to contribute to our those priorities that we've identified um, and saying yes to things that bring us joy. So I think those are my takeaways and saying no, being okay, saying no in order to, to get, to have joy. Well, you've been listening to the lab podcast, Latina, Asian, and black women. Thank you for joining us. Leave a comment in the show notes and tell us how you are thriving and balancing in work and life and rate us uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you so much.